Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. What's going on, Mission Church? I hope you're doing well this Sunday morning. This is Pastor Tyler. Psych, even though we do look a lot alike, no, this is uh, Chase Wiggins, and it is my honor and my joy, truly my joy, to be uh, sharing a Sunday morning experience with all of you. Uh, Before I even get going, y'all know I do this every time I come and speak. I want to give honor where honor is due. I just want to give a special shout out to Pastor Tyler and Rachel Johnson. I absolutely adore them. Wifey and I love them so incredibly much, and you guys are a very blessed church because you are led by great leaders. And uh, sometimes I, I, I think I have a proclivity to forget that it's the speed of the leader, the speed of the team, and it's the same for the church. And I think God has just graced you guys with such incredible leaders that are filled with God's grace. They're people of great faith. They're people who believe that the best is yet to come, and they're people of hope. And especially in times like this, we need to be a people of hope. And I've seen pastors responding to the times that we're in right now very negatively, very sourly, but yet we have pastors Tyler and Rachel Johnson who are just pushing the envelope and believing that in Jesus name, the best is yet to come. So shout out to Pastor Tyler and Rachel Johnson. They're beautiful people. And I love them very much. But uh, today, I got a word in season for every single one of you. If you don't know it, I'm the black nephew of this church. I show up, I eat all the food, I make it do what it do. Ooh, ooh, you can't find me because I'm playing Blues Clues. Whoa, I'm just going to keep on rapping. Nope, I'm going to stop. I'm so sorry. Please don't leave. I feel like some of you guys were like, I'm getting off. No, please stay. We're going to read the Bible, I promise. But I'm a holler back preacher. So even as you're at home in your living room and something is good, you can say amen. You can say mm-mm-mm. You can start to swing around your drink if something's good, but we're going to have an amazing time together in the presence of the Lord. And my goal is just to encourage you and to bring you good news. So think that with all all kinds of negative news that's coming out of the media and things of that nature, the gospel is good news. It literally translates to good news for our souls. So I got a good message and a good word for you this morning. And I'm actually going to be in the book of Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 25, to give you guys a little bit of context of what's happening is a guy by the name of Paul, who used to be Saul, um, he was basically a guy who had a hands-on experience with Jesus. He was kind of, uh, before he met Jesus, he, he was the mo- what the modern day ISIS is today. He was killing Christians and killing believers and stripping people from their homes. But he saw Jesus on a road to Damascus and was forever changed. And that should give us hope. Christians, that people, regardless of who they are, that if they encounter the living God, they can be forever changed. And so what Paul, what happened to Paul after he went out and started, uh, after he had this encounter with Jesus, he went out and he started preaching and teaching and planting churches and doing some really incredible things for the Lord. But there were, there was a moment in Acts chapter 16 where he was following Jesus and doing ministry and he found himself in a place of misery. But thank God he was not alone. And I think sometimes as believers, that I think sometimes as believers, we may, we may think that just because we're Christians, that means that we don't suffer or that we're not going to experience pain. But sometimes when you're following Jesus, the places he will take you will put you through suffering and will put you through pain. But the way that you will endure that suffering and pain is directly connected to how you will enter into the next season. And so Paul basically is in a town 
He's with his friend. His name is Silas. And long story short, he came across this woman who was being used by men to basically tell the future or be a fortune teller to people that she came in contact with. And basically every time Paul and Silas would go into this town to worship, this woman would, be, would begin to berate them and yell at them and get mad at them and just really was just very hostile towards them. And long story short, what Paul and Silas did, specifically Paul, it says in the ESV that Paul got annoyed and casted the demon that was in her out of her. Now, I just want to say right off the top, if you can cast a demon out of somebody because you're annoyed, whoa, Paul is a good, 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 good gangster. Paul got annoyed and casted the demon out of a woman. How many of you wish that you could do that with your children? When they are annoying you, you say, come out in Jesus name. No, but in complete seriousness, this woman was under complete demon possession. And as soon as Paul said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, come out, she was completely liberated and completely made free. Now you think that the people will be praising, but actually the people were very, very upset. And the men that were using her, the men that were using her, what they decided to do was get a mob rallied up and they ended up attacking Paul and Silas. And that is where we pick up in scripture, Acts chapter 16, verse 23. This is what the crowd did. And when they, the crowd, had inflicted many blows upon them, being Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, about midnight, something very weird happened. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so much so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors are opened, and everyone's bonds were unbroken fastened. I want to speak to y'all from the topic this morning, scars tell stories. Scars tell stories. Why don't you just pray with me real quick? Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just begin to fill people up wherever they are, that you would feel homes, that you would feel vehicles, that you would feel people who are on jogs right now, wherever people may be as they're hearing this message. I pray that you would fill them right now, Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that you would anoint me and that you would somehow use me in this small fraction of time to get people to understand that their scars tell stories and that there is a story in our pain and in our suffering. God, we love you. We worship you. We thank you, Father God, that you're working even when we don't see it and even when we don't feel it. You are working, God. We believe that and we trust that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, I believe that pain has the potential to cloud judgment. Once again, I believe that pain has the potential to cloud judgment. You know, uh, I was one of those kids that was really, really bad. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, um, but the Bible does say to spare the rod. And I got many of spankings when I was younger, and I deserved about 99.9% of them, y'all. I was just a bad kid. I have to admit it. I was just a bad kid, and I would lead other kids to do bad things, but I'm just evidence that God could use anyone and everyone, and that's the true grace of God at work in my life. Um, and I remember one time I went camping with my parents, and um, in Silent Valley. I don't even know where that is, but I remember it was called Silent Valley, somewhere in California. And we went on this camping trip. And long story short, I got sent to the car for doing something bad. Like my mom got mad at me for doing something bad. She's like, Chase, go on timeout, go sit in the car. And so I got in the car and we had a pretty big suburban and I was just kind of sitting there and, and 
thinking about what I did wrong, probably upset at my mother. And all of a sudden, I noticed that there were some keys in the ignition. And I was seven years old at the time. Some of y'all are like, you drove the car. No, that's not what I did. Listen to the story. And so what ended up happening is I saw the keys in the ignition, and I, I slowly turned them and, and, and didn't turn the engine on, but turned like the electronics on. I turned it enough where all the electronics in the car came on. And I started rolling the window up and down. Now, you, do you remember when you were a kid? Maybe it was just me, but do you remember when you were a kid when you would just be curious about pain? Like you would want to see how close you could come to pain, you know, like your parents are like, don't touch the oven. And you just kind of walk up close to see if you could get, you, you could cause yourself some pain or, or don't put your hand over the candle. And you kind of put your hand over just to see if you could cause yourself pain. I don't know why we're that way as kids, but I remember literally sitting in the suburban and I started rolling the window up and down, up and down. And then my seven-year-old brain said, I want to play a game. And so what I did is I placed my fingers in between the window, and as I was rolling the window up, at the last second, when it was just getting ready to squish my fingers at the very top, I would move them, I would move them out, I'd move them out. Then I'm like, you know what? I want this game to be more interesting. And so what I proceeded to do is I'm like, I'm only gonna roll it up a little bit, just a little bit, so I feel a little bit of pain. So I started going to the top, boop, 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 boop. Some of y'all are like, what does this have to do with Jesus? I promise it's gonna come together, hopefully. And I get to the top, boop, 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 and I get to the very top, and I rolled it more than I should have. So I pressed the button a little bit too hard and my fingers got squished. And I was like, and I was like, ah, I let out the loudest screech and the loudest cry. And, and now what's interesting is my response in this moment. Instead of, instead of rolling it down, for some reason I was in so much pain, rather than pressing down on the button, I pressed up on the button and I raised it even higher and I was like, and I went even higher and then I was shrieking and crying and yelling and losing my mind completely and finally I got some type of sense to roll the window down and be liberated and then my mom came to the car and it was just an absolute circus and it was crazy you know once again pain has the potential to cloud judgment it's so interesting that in that moment something that was so simple became difficult because I was in pain. And I don't know about you, but the Bible says that we must become like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. And I think that we can learn, um, I think we can learn lessons not only from our adulthood, but from our childhood. And one thing I know that is very evident in the times and the seasons that we're in is that a lot of people are in pain. And when people are in pain, when people are in pain, judgment is clouded. And I don't know about you, have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself in pain and it clouded your judgment? And the pain that I'm referencing isn't only physical, but it's also spiritual. It's emotional. It's mental. I refer to it as soul pain, pain that takes place in your mind, your will, and your emotions. And one thing that I do know is that we as humanity have a proclivity when we are in pain to inflict pain on others rather than endure pain ourselves. Sometimes I think as humanity, we have a tendency when we're in pain where we would rather someone else be in pain versus ourselves experiencing the pain. And it's that famous like phrase that is said oftentimes that hurt people have the potential to hurt people. And I think I'm seeing that with a lot of Christians right now, but with the world in general, a lot of people are hurting. And because they're hurting, they want to inflict pain on others rather than enduring pain themselves. But sometimes what I have to do is I have to be honest and I have to look in the mirror and ask myself the question, am I doing that? And y'all, if I could just be completely vulnerable as a pastor, 
I found myself literally inflicting pain on somebody a couple weeks ago when I made my way to Walmart. Now, as you know, we're in this shelter in place mode and we've been under quarantine for the last couple of months and I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm not enjoying it. My wife and I are extremely social. And there was one day where I decided to go to Walmart and I went to Walmart and I was walking up and I was gonna pick up some items from my lovely wife who is Latina, who's actually watching this sermon right now. Love you, baby. You look good. Hey, shout me down. Nope, she's giving me a funny look. Anywho, but I went to pick up some items for my beautiful wife. And when I got there, guys, I had a, I had a good time with the Lord that morning. But I got there and I just kind of felt a little bit off, man. Everybody was wearing masks. And I was just thinking like, man, I'm so over this. I miss my friends. I miss my community. I miss being able to gather at church. I miss just being able to go to a restaurant and just have lunch or dinner with my wife. And I have all these thoughts that are running through my head. And so I got into this long line that was at Walmart, finally got to the front of the line. And then this really, really nice guy looks at me. He's like, hey, sir, I don't know if you've heard, but, but as of recently, as of a few days ago, you have to wear a mask if you come into Walmart. So I'm not going to be able to let you into Walmart unless you grab your mask. Now, what I wish I could tell you is that I gave this guy the kindest response and I was like, oh, God bless you in Jesus name. It's completely okay. No biggie at all. Let me just go back to my car, get back in this long line, drive home and then come back and then have my mask on. No, that's not what I did, y'all. I got overwhelmingly frustrated. I copped a complete attitude with the suit. I was like, bro, are you serious? He's like, yes, sir. I'm, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. And I just was like, I low-key made a scene at the front of the line. I'm like, man, this is so stupid and ridiculous. Very spiritual of me. And then I stomped my way back to the car, got in the car, drove home, came back, got back in line, was still so upset that when I got to the front of the line and I was waiting to go in, the guy looked at me, he's like, sir, I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. Thank you for going back home and getting your mask. I was so upset, I didn't even talk to the dude. I didn't even say a word to him. I just walked straight inside and completely ignored him. And I was walking around grabbing tomatoes and grabbing lettuce, just getting mad at the world, and grabbing the bananas and all the different items and just completely losing my mind. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly. Chase, you're preaching about this in a few days. Hurt people hurt people. And what you are doing right now, rather than enduring your pain, you're inflicting pain on someone else. And y'all, in Walmart, I promise you, I almost started crying. I was like, <laughs> what a wretch I am. I'm just, a, I'm just a wretch. I'm just a wretch. I'm not mad at this guy. I'm not mad at the fact that I have to wear a mask. I'm honestly mad at the fact that I miss people. I miss my friends. I miss my community. And I'm hurting. Therefore, I want to hurt others. And so what I did is after I got myself, I walked outside and I grabbed that, that guy that was working and I walked up to him. I'm like, bro, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, man, it's okay. I'm like, bro, no, it's not. I was like, I, it, it's absolutely not okay. I apologize. And I'm sorry that I, that I put you through that. And uh, I kind of lost my head for a little bit. And uh, he smiled and crazily enough, his eyes kind of began to well up a little bit. And he was like, thank you for that, brother. And I just began to think like, man, he's probably the scapegoat for so many people, random facts, so many frustrations are being taken out on this poor guy. But as believers, what we need to understand is though we are in the world, we're not of the world. 
And we should be responding and not reacting to pain and suffering that we find ourselves going through. And men and women of God, I want to say right off the top that if you are a follower, a follower of Jesus, that does not mean that you are exempt from pain and suffering. That is the prosperity gospel. That's the opposite of the gospel. Men and women of God, sometimes the miracle is not necessarily you is not necessarily God I'm um, getting you through your season the way that you think he's going to get you through the season but sometimes the miracle is actually found when you get through the season and your season doesn't get into you you know what I'm saying like there's something supernatural that happens for believers when we're going through a season that is so difficult and yet though the season is not changing we're still willing to worship we're still willing to be kind we're still willing to operate in love we're still willing in the midst of everything that's happening to have the joy of the Lord fall upon us which is our strength and something I can guarantee you is that as long as we are living, there will be moments when we find ourselves in pain and suffering. But the way that we get through it is not like everyone else. We do not inflict our pain upon people, but rather we endure our pain in Jesus' name, knowing that not even our pain is wasted. There's a moment in the Bible where it says that nothing is wasted, and I love that. And I love that thought when it comes to success, when it comes to prosperity, when it comes to finances, when it comes to things that I want, but I also love that verse when it comes to pain, when it comes to suffering, when it comes to loss, when it comes to circumstances that don't go my way, when it comes to tragedy, the deep understanding, Mission Church, that everything that we're going through is not wasted. And I know that COVID-19 is difficult. I know that our weird world is in a very weird spot. I know that we're in a pandemic, but can I submit to you, not because I'm saying it, but because God has said it and he has stated it, that even this season is not wasted and so many of us we're focused on getting out of this season rather than focusing on what we are called to get out of this season that's a word for somebody who's listening right now maybe you need to shift your mind and your perspective on not what you're called to, not just getting out of this season but more so what you're called to get out of this season and I know for me I've been learning things about myself and things about God that I could not have learned unless we as, a, we as the world would have went through this pandemic and went through this moment together. But as I'm going through it, there are going to be moments where I feel pain. And I know there's moments where you're going to feel pain, but we have to have that focus once again by knowing and understanding that we cannot inflict our pain on others, but we must make the decision to endure our own pain. And sometimes I, forget, sometimes I think that we forget as believers that the symbol that represents Christianity is a symbol of pain. You know, when you walk into churches all across the United States of America or when you walk into churches all throughout the world, something that is very common for you to see is a cross. How is it that the very thing that Rome used to punish people and completely humiliate people so much so that they wouldn't even use crucifixion with their own people has become the symbol of our faith and the symbol of Christianity. I mean, I know that we got cross, cross tattoos now and we got crosses around our necks and things like that, but a couple thousand years ago, crosses represented something very terrible. Crosses actually represented pain and suffering and humiliation. 
And it also, it also represented one of the worst ways that you could die in that culture through suffocation and, and pain and hours and hours and hours and hours of you literally lifting yourself up as you swoop back down, lifting yourself up as you swoop back down and you would eventually die from suffocation. And yet our Savior and our Jesus died this way with nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a crown of thorn on his brow and 39 lashes on his back and he hung there for all of humanity. So the question we must ask ourselves actually is historically, how did this symbol, how did the cross become the symbol for Christianity? Interestingly enough, in the fourth century, there was an emperor whose name was Constantine who was ruling over all of Rome and the majority of the known world. But he had a mama. He had a mama who was hood. He had a mama who, uh, who loved him and birthed him. And, and her mama actually found salvation before Constantine. And her name was Helen. And what Helen decided to do when she, when, she was, um, when she was preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, when she received the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when she was saved, what Helen made the decision to do was something that was interesting. She went on a worldwide search to find the very cross that Jesus was crucified on. And she believed that she found it. We don't know for sure if she did, but, we, but she believes that she found what to be what, what was the cross that Jesus was killed upon. And what she decided to do with that cross was something that was very interesting. She began to send the cross to different churches that were scattered throughout the known world to remind them that they could endure the same way that Jesus endured, that they could overcome the same way that Jesus overcame. And not too long after that, her little boy, her son Constantine, who was ruling over the majority of Rome, would become saved, and he would completely ban the crucifixion, and he would completely abolish it, not only, excuse me, it was already abolished in Rome, but throughout all of the world, and he would make the cross the symbol for all of Christianity so that we would remember a Jesus who suffered on our behalf so that when we suffer, we can remember what he went through, but more so we can look at how he went through it. And uh, when I think about the cross, that, that does something for me. Something that represented agony now represents adoration. And to think that Jesus was on the earth before Constantine even became emperor, 400 years before Constantine would even become emperor, Jesus would, Jesus would say to a group of believers, hey, there's going to be moments where you're going to have to take up your own cross and follow. Paul, who wouldn't live under the rulership of Constantine's day, would say this about Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He did not inflict his pain on others, but he endured the cross because there was a joy that was set before him. And men and women of God, when we understand that, we, that our pain and our suffering is not wasted, what we can do is we can understand that there is an eternal joy that is set before us that goes beyond this finite life, but goes into infinite reality. Ooh. And it's a powerful, powerful truth. But if I could be honest with you, and if I could just be vulnerable with every single one of you, sometimes I struggle with the cross of Jesus. Sometimes I struggle with some of the things that Jesus said because they go against my social constructs. They go against my ideologies. What Jesus said oftentimes goes against my ideals. 
And I would even say at times it goes against my political views on situations. Because I'm a firm believer that the biblical text should be completely driving the way that we view the world. The biblical text is the lenses that I put on that gives me a perspective on how I view humanity properly or I view humanity in the way that God does. And if I could just be vulnerable with you, Mission Church, this is so real to me. Recently, there was a video released on Instagram a couple of weeks ago about a young man named Ahmad Arbery who was murdered in Georgia. And uh, if I could be vulnerable with you, um, there was a lot of anger and rage that went through me when I watched that video because I know what it is to be profiled. I've been profiled numerous times throughout my lifetime and seeing this young man who was murdered in Georgia really began to strike a chord inside of me. And if I could be honest with you, Mission Church, I almost slipped a little bit. I almost got caught up in my own worldview. I almost got caught up in my own perspective. And then suddenly, as I was getting frustrated, I just began to pray and I felt the Holy Spirit in my imagination take me to the foot of the cross. And, and as I was at the foot of the cross, there was no one else there but me. And Jesus was hanging there and he was bloody to the point of almost being unrecognizable. And it was almost as if in my mind, I could see him and he was looking directly at me. And he was looking at me and he was saying, Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does. And that did something to me that's difficult to explain. And it was as if I was like, no, God, the way that I endure suffering is different than everyone else. The way that I go through things is different than everyone else. I do not have the right to take on offenses and take on bitterness that is not right because I, would, because, because I have been forgiven much. Therefore, I can forgive much. And then in that moment, it was as if something happened that was even crazier. It was as if in my mind, in my mind I went to the hills in the plains of Louisiana. Louisiana because my great 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 grandparents were slaves my great grandmother Eliza May was a slave and would pick cotton in Louisiana at a plantation and suddenly in my imaginative lenses it's like I was I was seeing slaves that were that were literally picking cotton and the scorching sun was literally beaming down on them and it was and it was making their skin that they were being persecuted for even darker and bronzing it and they were picking cotton over and over and suddenly in one accord these slaves began to sing songs like this songs like swing low sweet chariot coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. You're coming forth to carry me home. And then they would continue to say, if you get there, referencing eternity before I do, you'll be coming forth to carry me home. Ooh. If you get there before I do, you'll be coming forth to carry me home. And then I thought to myself, my God, wow, pain can cloud my judgment and it can make me forget that in this life I will have suffering and I will have pain. But what I am called to do is worship through it. Worship through it. And here in this passage, we see Paul and Silas as we get ready to conclude. Getting beaten up for doing the right thing. <laughs> they're, doing, they're doing ministry, y'all. Paul and Silas are doing ministry. 
and they get beat with rods. They get stripped naked. And most scholars believe that when they got thrown in the back of the prison, that they had sewage that was up to their waist. And for some reason, I don't know who looked at who. I'm sure it was somewhat of a debate. I don't know if it was Paul looking at Silas or Silas looking at Paul. For some reason, these men said, so what song do you want to sing? You want to sing Build My Life? Should we sing Do It Again by Elevation Worship? Or you want to hit him with some gospel? You want to sing Kirk Franklin, My Life is in Your Hands? You want to go really old school on him? You want to sing Shout to the Lord? What song are we going to sing, Silas? What song are we going to sing, Paul? Because we are called to worship through it. And we could easily get mad at God. We could easily get frustrated at God. But we have lived long enough to know that our pain has never been wasted. And even this prison will not be wasted. So we are going to give God what is rightfully his. In every high, in every low, in every mountain, and in every valley, we choose to worship and suddenly they began to lift up praises to God they began to worship to God and suddenly we see it in the text the ground began to shake and their chains began to break and that's exactly what I believe happens in the spiritual realm when we begin to worship when we begin to sing songs to God when we begin to praise God simply for who he is and not always for what he does but just because of who you are God we give you glory when we begin to do that It breaks off the chains of depression. It breaks off the chains of anxiety. It breaks off the chains of fears. It breaks off the chains of abandonment. When we begin to worship God, something happens that's supernatural. In other words, church, it's very, very difficult to worship and worry at the same time. It's just not easy. It's not easy to worship and worry at the same time. And I wonder for you, have you been worrying a lot more than you've been worshiping? I know sometimes I do that. I know sometimes I get caught up in opinions and things of that nature, and I forget the power of my worship. Now, after this moment, um, after this moment, excuse me, you know, they would lead a jailer to the Lord, but what I want to focus on is maybe a year or two or three years from now. Now, I can't prove this theologically, I can only relate to my own life. But before I do that, let me, let me give y'all a, a little bit of a reference. Um, I love the movie Batman, The Dark Knight. Now, the reason why I love that movie, it's not because of Batman, it's because of the Joker. I believe the greater the villain, the greater the hero. You know what I mean? Like, there's like two villains that I've seen in my lifetime where I'm like, they're just real. They're very real. The first one is the Green Goblin. The Green Goblin is one of the realest villains I've ever seen in my life. Like when, when the Green Goblin got mad at Spider-Man and he found out who he was and he went to the top of that bridge and he had the children and he was like holding the cable that had a bus full of children. And then in the other hand, he had Mary Jane and he basically looked at Spider-Man and he said, the woman you love or suffer the little children. I remember being 11 years old in theaters being like, the Green Goblin is so real. And then he just let go, choose. And I was like, the Green Goblin. But the Joker took everything to another level. The Joker was like, let me show you a magic trick to this crazy gangster. And he made the pen disappear. The Joker, when he was holding Batman's girl, 
When, when Batman came into the party with Harvey Dent, I'm sorry, I'm giving you guys a little bit of movie history. He went into the party with Harvey Dent, and out of nowhere, he got into the party, and he shot off the window, boom, 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 and Batman was like, let her go. And Joker's like, interesting answer, boom, and let her go. And I was like, the Joker's real. The Joker is a real villain. But one of my favorite parts about the Joker, it was freakishly weird. I'm not going to lie to you, but it was one of my favorite parts. He did it a couple times during that movie. He was like, you want to know how I got these scars? And he would start telling these crazy stories. (laughs) Interestingly enough, I think Christians need to talk more about how they got scars in their lives. The wounds that have become healed. I have to believe that after this moment of them getting inflicted, beaten to the point with rods and getting these wounds and getting bruised, that at some point, Paul and Silas were healed. And I wonder if they had like maybe one, two, three or four scars from this crazy beating. And if there were moments when they would come across people, they'd be like, oh, what happened there? What took place there? And then Paul and Silas would look at each other and begin to smile. Oh, that. Yeah, we didn't know if we were going to get through that. Yeah, see, what had happened was is we were preaching Jesus in a town and we ended up casting the demon out of this young lady. And then we got thrown into prison and And we started worshiping and we didn't know if we were going to get out, but suddenly the Holy Spirit began to shake the ground and we were liberated and we didn't leave. We stayed because you can't free free people already. And so we stayed there and a Roman guard was going to kill himself and we went and we led him to Jesus. The scar tells a story. What about you? What about your coworkers and your family members and your friends who aren't believers? I wonder if if they ask questions like, why are, you so, why are you so joyful during these times? Or or what happened in that season? If you think back like, oh yeah, when we were, when we didn't know if we were gonna be able to pay the mortgage on our house. <laughs> Let me tell you what God did. Or the time where maybe you literally physically have a scar from you going through chemotherapy or something like that. And you're like, oh, the time cancer was in my body and the Lord healed me. Yeah, let me tell you about that. Oh, the time I had that porn addiction. Yeah, yeah, that's what that scar over my soul is. But let me tell you what my Jesus did. Oh, the time where I was so anxious that I would stay up in the middle of the night. But let me tell you what Jesus did in spite of that. Church, as soon as Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected in his body a few days later, it is said that he walked around And people were doubting who he was, even some of his followers. And he walked up to Thomas. One of his followers who'd been with him for three years, who didn't believe that he could beat death. And he said, Thomas, let me show you the scars. Put your hand in them. It's me. His scars told a story. And most scholars believe that when we see Jesus in eternity in his resurrected body, that when we enter into heaven, that he will still have nails in his hands. Excuse me, he'll still have holes in his hands and holes in his feet as a reminder of the price that was paid and the suffering that he went through so that he could have people like me and people like you be with him forever. And so if Jesus said, take up your own cross, that must mean that there's going to be holes on our journey. 
pain that we're going to inflict, things that we're going to go through. But can I submit to you that your scars have told a story and your wounds will eventually tell a story. See, some of you, you're like, but Chase, my, I'm still struggling with anxiety. Chase, I'm, I'm still struggling with this pain. Chase, I'm still struggling with depression. Chase, I'm still struggling with abandonment. Chase, I still haven't overcome that addiction. Yeah, you're still in the wound phase. You're still hurting and that's okay. It's okay to not be okay, but can I say to you, Mission Church, that we serve a God who is with us through the wounds. He's not only with us in the scars, but he's with us in the wounds. And I decree and declare over you that Jehovah Rophe has healed you and that in due time, you will overcome. If you keep doing the things that you should do, God will be faithful to his promises. And one day, one day, one day, those wounds will be scars. And they will tell a story of your healer in Jesus' name. And so Mission Church, scars tell stories. And my last story to you is if you look at my knees, if I didn't have these jeans on, you would see two scars that represent my ACL surgery. I had ACL surgery on my left ear my freshman year in 2006. And I had ACL surgery on my my right knee, which was my senior year in 2009. And uh, they tell a story. Tell a story of intense pain, a football athlete who thought he was going to play Division I football and go to the NFL. They tell a story of, of an identity crisis that I was going through because I, I didn't know what to do with myself after I had that knee surgery. But they tell a different story as time went on. They tell a story of God using that pain that I went through to one day make me into a pastor. One day I would walk away from the game of football and I would enter into the game of the kingdom and I would become the first, the first pastor in the Wiggins name in the history of my legacy. You see, my dad's dad was a pimp. My dad's dad pimped my grandmother, for those who don't know. My grandfather pimped my grandma. My, my grandfather pimped my grandma. And that was the byproduct of my father coming into the earth, being born of a woman who was 15 years old in poverty and alcoholism and addiction and strong drug use. And so when I called my dad and told him I became a pastor, he began to weep uncontrollably. And I asked him, what's wrong with you, old man? Why are you crying so hard? And my dad looked at me. He's like, son, you don't understand. I never would have thought that God would change the Wiggins name and allow it to have pastoral blood running through it. And my dad's scars tell a story. The stuff he went through, the stuff he endured is crazy, but his scars tell a story. And now I'm a representation of that. What about your scars? I know that that for some parents out there, you are the byproduct of divorce, but your scars are gonna tell a different story. Your children are going to live differently. I know for some of you, you are the byproduct of a broken home, but your home is going to be put together. You're going to tell a different story in Jesus' name. Come on. Our scars tell stories. Let me pray for you, Mission Church. God, right now, I thank you so much for people who are wounded. And I pray wherever they are that you would just begin to heal in the name of Jesus. 
God, for people who are ashamed of their scars and of their past, I thank you, Lord, that the book of Revelation says that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Remind us, Holy Spirit, that sometimes people relate far more to our failures than they do our success. Let us not be afraid to be vulnerable with each other, especially in this community, God. And Lord, for, uh, for people who are in pain, for people who are struggling, Father God, to endure their pain, I pray right now that you would just remind them, God, that you will never give them more than they could handle because you're enough in and out of every single season that they might find themselves in. Father, we love you. We worship you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Mission Church, thank you for taking the time to listen to me. I love you so incredibly much. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.